0: This is Recode Media. i Peter Kafka. That is me. This is a special kind of emergency, not really emergency uh, edition of Recode Media, because I'm interviewing Jonah Peretti, who is the CEO of BuzzFeed. He is also the co-founder of Huffington Post, which is now HuffPost, which is now part of BuzzFeed. Welcome, Jonah.
1: Good, good to be here.
0: Good to be in California talking to me on a Zoom. So you've yeah. had a busy day. You, you announced uh, you were Acquiring HuffPost, we can talk about the right verb. You met with the HuffPost staff. You met with the BuzzFeed staff. Now you're talking to me. What's the, what's the question between the BuzzFeed staff and the HuffPost staff? You have heard most often today.
1: Uh, you know, I feel like um, there's a general feeling of excitement from everyone so far. Um, of course, um, I think it's more wanting to digest the news first, and then I think I'll get a lot more a lot more questions. Um, but. Uh, so, so far, so far, I think people are, are excited about it. It was this, this kind of a shocking morning for, for a lot of people. There was a, only a small team that knew about the deal and we were working on it for a long time late into the night um, and, uh, you know, just got it, got it finished in the morning in time for the, these all hands.
0: So I'm reading in the wall street journal. This is actually one of these deals that came about that started at CES at the consumer electronics show. Um, so you've been working on this in some form or other since, since January of this year? That's a long gestating deal.
1: We we just had a regular business meeting at CES. Uh, and in that meeting, I said, you know, you, what about Huffington Post? You know, like you you have HuffPost and, you know, I have, of course, my personal connection as a co-founder and, and had some ideas about things we could do with it. Uh, and so that started the conversation. I had a good connection with um, with Guru, who runs Verizon Media, um, and so, uh, yeah, so we started talking about it in a more casual way and, and then it, um, it, it sort of sped up, um, and here we are.
0: So was this something in January you were thinking, I would like to buy HuffPost, I would like to bring that publication back or was it something else?
1: Yeah, I wrote, you know, over a year ago I wrote to, to them and it was just seeing if it could be for sale and they told me it wasn't. And so I, I sort of stayed at it and talked to them more and, um, I think um, I think they like the idea of it going back to a co-founder and and the idea that we could do a commercial agreement and partner on some ad innovation. Um, you know, Yahoo is really the only major platform where you can't get tasty content and you can't get BuzzFeed content. So there was also a nice um, uh, uh, you know, benefit to doing a deal where HuffPost content can continue to spread across You know, continue to be syndicated on Yahoo, but so can Tasty, BuzzFeed News, BuzzFeed content. So it it expanded things for them and for and for us.
0: So Buzz, so Verizon. We can talk about some of the mechanics, but the big picture is Verizon no longer has to operate or fund HuffPost. Uh, We'll get their content. We'll get some BuzzFeed content. It can it can spread around its its surface. Um, And you guys get what? Why? What is the appeal of buying HuffPost for you in twenty twenty?
1: I, I love iconic brands that everyone knows. So BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News, Tasty, HuffPost—they're internet content brands, internet media brands that everyone knows. They have big audiences, reach lots of people, so lots of, of, of scale. Um, and all all four of those brands have really loyal audiences who who love the mission of those of, of, of those services. Um, and so, being able to bring together four of the most iconic internet media brands into one company felt really exciting to me uh, and there were the the other thing that appealed to me was that the the brand and the audience and the scale was bigger than the business and i think part of that is that you know verizon media is so huge and you know they they were very fond of huffpost but they also you know it was very small compared to the billions of revenue that they do and so we can give it extra attention and if you look over the the last few years at the way BuzzFeed has diversified our revenue, um, you know, we've added in commerce, we've added, you know, done a deal with Lionsgate to make films, we've figured out a few different new forms of advertising from native to programmatic to creator driven advertising. Um, So we can take all that work that we've done over the last few years, and we can extend it to, to HuffPost. And I think um, make the the size of the business start to match the size of the brand of the audience.
0: So you said, look, that there, we're not we're not overlapping an audience here. I think everyone who buys a, a internet company says they're not over overlapping with the audience. It seems really hard to believe with HuffPost, right? They've got a news thing, they've got a culture thing. You guys have a news brand. You guys are a culture brand. Um, what am I missing? Why aren't these the same audience?
1: Uh, I mean, if you look at at Comscore numbers, you can see that the overlap is not as much as you would expect. And that was the other thing that surprised me. I, I didn't have some nostalgic desire to buy HuffPost. I wasn't like, oh, I you know, my long plan when I left HuffPost was that I was going to day I'll come back and it. own you all. Um, that was not that, you know, that was not what drove this is like, we would sit down at our, you know, we'd sit down with our team that was looking at, at our competition and at potential deals. And we, we, we do surveys, data and HuffPost kept coming up as most recognized brand, more recognized than really a lot of the, the competitors that were kind of more buzzy in the, in the trades. HuffPost was more well-known and then had bigger audience and then had an audience that was wealthier. And. And not just old, but 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 all ages. And BuzzFeed really only has a young audience. We don't we don't really have um, you know the older, more affluent um, audience at all. And HuffPost is, is a sort of all ages type brand. So that you're buying
0: water. the BuzzFeed audience's parents.
1: Yeah, but also the also the kids. I mean, you know, too. and the,
0: and the young people. Yeah, and the, the youngsters. Um. So the, the, the terms of the deal that you announced where this is an all-stock deal, which doesn't always mean something, but often means there's maybe not, not as much value as, as the seller thinks. Uh, and then on top of that, the journal reports, and I've confirmed that Verizon is giving you guys money. They're, they're going to have a stake in BuzzFeed, but they're also giving you cash. So my understanding of that is they are paying you to take HuffPost. Is that a fair assessment of the deal?
1: We're we're paying them to, we're paying them to take HuffPost in in stock, um, and they're getting some additional stock through through an investment. Um, and then you know, like I, like I said earlier, being able to manage HuffPost and give it the attention it needs is something that BuzzFeed is much better suited to do. And I think they understood that you know having a a co-founder who is running a digital smaller digital media business business that really wants to put the, the effort into the business, I think was appealing to them and to us. Um, and so they have now upside in, in BuzzFeed, and they have the ability to get um, our content across Yahoo and other other um, you know AOL, other platforms that they they have. So, so they're getting the be- benefit of BuzzFeed, Tasty, BuzzFeed News, and HuffPost. And then we are are managing, um, you know, the the Huff Post business, and then they're getting um, equity in 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 our sort of ongoing success.
0: All right. So so you don't agree with my assessment, but but they are giving you cash. How much cash are they giving you?
1: Um, we didn't disclose that.
0: Yeah, I know. I got to ask. Is it a meaningful <laughs> we, amount we of money? Cash.
1: Listeners like like the those little awkward moments where the.
0: I don't know if they like them, but that's what we do. And then yeah. I often think maybe we should edit these out.
1: Maybe maybe it's the favorite part of podcasts where you ask a, you ask a CEO or, you know, how much revenue did you have? What did, how much did you pay for this? And, and, and then they don't answer like,
0: yeah, I used to do it like three or four times and I realized that sounded awful and looked bad. And so I've, I've stopped doing that. I'll, I'll do it once or twice and we're okay. done. Um, you guys also haven't said, look, we're going to, you haven't, you haven't promised not to cut anyone. I assume there is a duplicative. I assume that there will be cuts that between their sales and back end and your sales, and, but there's just going to be people who, who are let go. What, what have you told the two staffs about that?
1: Um, you know, I, I, um, did the all hands with, with Post today. And, you know, one of the things that I made clear is that we don't own the company yet. We signed an agreement to buy it and we have to wait until it closes till we till there are employees. Uh, and we also have a huge amount we don't know yet. Like I love what they do, but I don't know how they do it and I want to learn more about it and understand. And you know of course, you can look at what BuzzFeed's done over the last few years, which is we added lots of new lines of revenue. We were more disciplined managing our costs and we will be solidly profitable this year um, even with the impact of COVID. And so we want to take that approach to to uh, to all the businesses we operate and make sure that we set them up for long term success and sustainability and profitability. And I'm confident we can do that with, with HuffPost. Um, and so we'll we'll see what that we'll see what that means and we'll see when we when we sort of dig in and learn learn more and talk to talk to more members of the team.
0: Should we have a second round of uncomfortable me asking you the same question? <laughs> Hard again. I mean, look, I mean, I understand that that one, you don't want to announce stuff because you maybe you literally haven't figured it out. But of course, you've you've been looking under the covers and you've got an idea. Um, there's a reason they wanted to sell it. Um, um, is it reasonable to assume there will be cuts in editorial staff and business staff?
1: Well, I mean, you also asked about the BuzzFeed side and it's it's easier for me to say there'll be no cuts as a result of this on the BuzzFeed side, because, um, you know, if anything, we may we may have to do some hiring to support this on the BuzzFeed side because you know, most of the people that, you know there's a there's there's a a relatively small tech team, a lot of editorial people, and um, I think three salespeople on the Huffpost side because so much of the back office and admin and centralized services are coming from verizon. so so BuzzFeed will actually have more work to do to to support all of the the centralized functions that Verizon's not doing. And so, um, and so we're definitely not, um, you know, we're we're definitely not looking at at a, any cuts on the Buzzfeed side. and In fact, may may need to to hire in order to to support the deal. That's staggering um, that
0: HuffPost had three salespeople. I mean, I know they'd centralized it, but that tells you a lot about what AOL slash Yahoo slash Verizon was doing there.
1: Yeah. So so the, I think there's a big opportunity to make the the business at at HuffPost be as big as the brand and the audience. And right now it's not. And so that's that's a big opportunity. And. Of course, that's the most exciting way to build a vibrant, sustainable company is to grow the revenue and find new new revenue lines.
0: So you have been uh, talking about your desire for acquisitions. I did an interview with you in January where you talked about the fact that you wanted to buy Meetup. Uh, you're looking at other stuff. You've you've been banging the drum in public saying, I think the media company should consolidate. Um, was this the consolidation you were thinking? Or does this sort of fulfill that need for consolidation? Or do you think, all right, now we're going to roll up other publications. We're going to get, we're going to swallow up more stuff.
1: One one of the big areas of opportunity um, is building the largest cross-platform media network with these iconic brands, BuzzFeed, Tasty, HuffPost. And so that, that's, um, that's a big part of our strategy to to really reach everyone on every platform with massive scale. Now, once you do that, it starts opening up other businesses and other opportunities, which could could be M and A opportunity or building building new businesses. Um, but the media network piece is really important to BuzzFeed and is always a ba- way we think. We're we're an internet media company, um, and we have a lot of the DNA of a tech company in terms of how we think and how we operate, how we use data, how we build products, uh, and so uh, this is. Th- this acquisition is a big part of that that piece of our strategy, but there there may be more other things to
0: come. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're stopping there. I mean, you guys had talked to Group 9. That went on for a while. Um, for all I know, you talked to my boss, Jim Bankoff at Vox Media. I mean, do you see the other sort of big digital native publications like Vox Media, like companies, like Vox Media, like Vice um, consolidating further?
1: I think that there may there may be some bigger consolidation. I think... I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of of um, especially for free media, not subscription media, a big broad pop culture brands that everyone knows and that that can live across many platforms. Um, that's why I like our strategy of these these small number of mega brands. Now I think there's some opportunity for smaller brands and niche brands, uh, especially in, Things like subscription or or other um, higher revenue per user type type um, businesses, um, but the core for us is is really this this uh, media network that that we have built out, uh, and now that we're growing, you know, really really quickly with this acquisition.
0: You said you're going to be profitable this year, correct? Yes, even, even with the COVID. And in the pre COVID days, you guys had floated the idea of an IPO. Um, Could you go public with with sort of with these these two companies combined? Is that a compelling enough story to go public?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's not just the story; it's the business, and I'm pretty confident that that um, you know by the second half of next year, this will be you know accretive to us and will help our bottom line and help our growth. Um, So I think we have a you know we'll have a lot of options if we um, you know this deal and and potentially other initiatives or other deals or other other growth areas um, meet our expectations we'll have a lot of options including the, the ability to to go public
0: when you you co-founded Huffington Post with Ariana Huffington and Kenny Lair, and HuffPost was sort of famous early on for sort of figuring out google and seo and then you went to BuzzFeed and your emphasis was on social um, is there a real substantial like, can you see that difference in the two publications today, can you tell, oh, this is a publication that was supposed to be chasing SEO and, and we're, we're social, or are they all kind of similar in the way they operate at this point?
1: Uh, I mean, I would say they're still better than BuzzFeed at SEO, but they, they've gotten really good at social as well. And they have huge social accounts and Facebook and Twitter and you know other uh, other, other platforms. So uh, they, they're they not a, a search-driven company. Like they were in the very early days, and I think re- really both companies are data driven and audience driven, and focused on using the internet to create a closer connection to your audience and serve them better. And, and I think that is the same for, for for Buzzfeed and HuffPost and Tasty, really. You know that as as well. And and so um, that's a similarity, but that 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 way of thinking helps you with social and and with SEO.
0: What did you What did you learn? Or yeah, what did you learn during during COVID this year in terms that it's helping you operate the business? I think a lot of folks last spring thought things are going to be very very bad uh, for the rest of the year, and it bounced back quicker than people thought. What did you, What did you take away from that experience?
1: I mean, it was quite the year. It was a really hard year. You know, it was a year where we were looking. You know, in in the beginning of Q two, we were looking at our business and saying, you know, we don't know if our advertisers are going to pay us uh, that, you know, they, we were owed over a hundred million dollars in receivables. We don't know whether they're going to continue to spend in, you know, through Q2 and Q3, um, you know, commerce and e-commerce was exploding, but at the same time, the supply chains of Amazon and Walmart were impacted. So they were saying, Hey, don't, don't send us more, more customers. Uh, and so that was, that was a, could have been a tailwind, but at the, at the time looked like maybe that's, going to be impacted for for a long time so because you were
0: pretty, making money sending them customers the yeah big bars, yeah. yeah
1: yeah and so it was it was pretty it was pretty dark at the beginning of the year I mean I think that it, it taught us it taught us that we can you know the team I think feels like we can do anything because we made it through this we, we all worked really hard together we made a lot of hard decisions we we at, we acted really quickly on a bunch of different areas we took on a shared sacrifice of you know everyone took pay reductions uh, we had furloughs, we had some, uh, you know, small number of layoffs. We sold our business in Brazil and in Germany, you know, so we'd made a lot of really quick decisions that made sure that even if things continued to be bad, we would be able to make it through. Um, and, um, and then we also got more resourceful about how do we pivot to more direct um, advertising models, and and the affiliate and and commerce started to come back, and we 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 started to package that into our advertising deals in interesting ways, and 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 we've seen a you know profitability in Q three, even will be even more profitable in Q four, will be profitable for the year. The pay reduction that all these em- employees took and sacrificed, we were able to pay back in full, which I think will the, the, that will show up in people's bank accounts in like two weeks. Um, and so we, you know, we, we were able to get back on course and, um, it really took a lot of sacrifice and ingenuity and fast decision-making and working together. and, and I think the team saw that we did it in a way that, um, you know, that we were all working together to try to save as many jobs as possible and operate in, in, in the, the, um, best interest of everyone in the company. And, and, um, and you know we got through it and i think partly we feel like stuff we did was helped us get through it but also i know that a lot of businesses are on an upswing in the back half relative to that dark time in q2 and so there was just a broader kind of secular shift towards the the economy sort of adjusting and and to to covid and figuring out how to still operate even even though um, a lot of things had to happen in different ways.
0: And you're really hands-on on the business side, right? In a way that I've, I think maybe you didn't imagine you were going to be. And when I when I did this interview with you, it was in Miami, because that was still something you did at that time, was go to Miami for a media conference. You said, all right, I got to go on I'm going to Atlanta to pitch Home Depot. Um, and it's because you didn't have a sort of chief business officer who would normally do that. Um, is that sort of the way it's going to play out? Are you going to be sort of effectively running the business uh, or are you going to bring someone on to do that at some point?
1: Well, you know, we didn't hire a chief revenue officer or president. And I took the the, the four top business leaders in the company to report directly to me. Um, but those four leaders are amazing. They're experienced. They are not, they're not micromanaging them. They know more about sales and commerce than I do. Uh, and so I try to support them, but it's worked really well. And the four of them have really worked collaboratively to lead their teams uh, through through a challenging time, uh, so I, d- I don't think it's like uh, you know I brought in all the revenue. I did a few sales calls uh, here and there, but but the, the the leaders, the business leadership, is is really strong, and a lot of them have been at BuzzFeed a long time and have seen all these changes in the industry. And so the change that COVID threw at them, they were able to adjust to just because they've adjusted to so much already over the last several years.
0: This is a media podcast, so we have to do some requisite navel gazing. The the two big media stories for the last however many days or weeks is everyone's going to Substack and or everyone's going to the New York Times. Um, ben Smith, who, and this is played out at, at, at BuzzFeed as well, you've had people go to both places. Um, first of all, what do you think of sort of the current vogue for go off and start your own paid newsletter? You, that's that's the niche kind of business you were talking about a few minutes ago. Do you think that's sustainable?
1: I mean, I think what's interesting is you have all these kind of contradictory trends happening simultaneously. Uh, and you know, the answer is always going to be complicated, right? You have you have a, a, a trend of more unionization for news organizations simultaneously with the sub stack, like, hey, I'm not going to even have an employer and I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to work for myself, you know, and 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 so super individualistic uh, uh, type, you know, impulse and then a very collectivist impulse. And there are, if you're a young journalist, you're you're looking at both of those and you're like, "Oh, there's some good things about these different these different movements." And I think it's just everyone has a hunger to be part of the future of media, a part of, you know, I mean, we go into this industry because we want to influence culture and have a positive impact on our audience and help help, you know, move society forward. And people have this desire to make 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 that kind of impact and being and finding the best way to do it is going to be something that gets gets you know, especially, you know, um, the more engaged, you know, journalists excited. And so it might be Substack. It might be getting more involved in a union. It might be, you know, um, um, I mean, the New York Times, the, the New York Times example is, you know, it might be uh, nice to have the the resources and the, the the salaries they pay and some of those things as well. So
0: well let me ask um, you about that, because there was not very long ago, right? The the New York Times put out this innovation report, which would, you know, the subtitle could have been How do we compete with BuzzFeed and Huffington Post? Uh, and there was real anguish there at the times that they were sort of not getting digital and, and they were being surpassed by the two publications you you co founded. Um, what 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 did they figure out and and is there any other less I mean obviously they're kind of uh, they're a very specific publication. Is there anything that they figured out that other folks can learn from?
1: I mean, I think that that they found that that subscription businesses with recurring revenue can be a good business. I think they found that having a president like Trump is really good for subscription businesses that are critical of, of Trump. Uh, and um, and I think we also found that we have a crisis in our democracy and a cri- an information crisis where. The content and the news that people are getting across the platforms is often really poor quality. And so it might be a great business to be a subscription business, but it's not necessarily solving the problem that 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 the New York Times, you know, sort of initially set out to solve, like being the paper of record um, and being a good business sometimes are in conflict. And it feels like there's no paper record right now. It feels like there's a really good subscription business that has good quality journalism and a lot of good people that are focused on, um, you know, a a particular demographic and a particular, you know, more more affluent audience that is um, the news consumer that subscribes. Um, And there's also a crisis of of. Quality journalism across the broad, the biggest platforms where the majority of people spend the majority of their media time. So
0: you're saying they're not the paper of record because they're they sell subscriptions and not everyone can afford their subscription.
1: I, I'm saying that the subscription business model l- leads towards being a, a a a paper for a particular group and a particular audience and not for the broadest public, and that it, you used to be able to kind of have it both ways. You know, you could kind of give your paper away for free on the internet, have your subscription newspaper. Um, and, and now there's harder choices where, where, you know, Substack, a subscription is going to really, really influence a very small number of people. But will it inform the broad public? Like, probably not. Um, will a, a subscription newspaper that is read by a subset of society... You know, have as big an impact as it could on voters, on the broad public, on young people, on you know the more diverse rising generation of millennials and Gen Z. I I think there's a huge opportunity to to serve that those those consumers, Um, and not all of them are going to be subscribers to any publication. Um, And so, I, I, I think we need a diversity of models. Like we need strong subscription models. We need strong free media that has quality journalism. Um, we should have Substack and, you know, uh, newsletters and independent voices. Um, but, but we, you know, we, we, we definitely need to, to find some way for content to be created at scale for the broadest possible public that does not have the problems that a lot of the content that is circulating on social media has right now.
0: Okay. This is very heady stuff. I appreciate you taking time, but I do want to bring it down just one notch. I asked one of your writers uh, at Buzzfeed what, what the, their big concern was, and they wanted to know if there is going to be a HuffPost branded sex toy.
1: Oh, that's you know, that will be a question for the, for the HuffPost team. You know, I would certainly never, I would certainly never mandate something like that to, uh, to, to, to a team, but um but you know sex positivity is a part of buzzfeed's brand and uh um you know but we'll 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 see we don't own enough post yet so we've got to got to wait and wait to have those important conversations
0: um, i noticed you stopped gesticulating for that answer oh, that was good. <laughs> all right jonah thank you for your time i appreciate it
1: all right thanks thanks peter